Friends, welcome back to another episode of the Midwest Monsters podcast. I am one of your hosts, Grizzly Abner, and I'm joined by Professor Wagstaff. <laughs> Caught reading texts. <laughs> Just getting smoked with text messages. Over I here. am Mr. Popularity today. God, I wish you weren't a father and a husband. <laughs> Got these responsibilities. So, uh, hey, coming in, talking about a franchise, but nay, not in its entirety. We're talking about Alien, Aliens, the Alien Quadrilogy, technically. So this first run of Alien movies in the franchise. Um, we're, we're thinking, and don't hold us to it, but we're thinking we might do a little bit of a, you know, we'll do this Alien Quadrilogy. At some point, we'll cover the Predator movies. And then maybe we'll do an Alien versus Predator episode and find a way to work in some of the newer Alien prequels into that as well. That's kind of what we're thinking, but it's mm-hmm. a long, arduous journey. So we hitting the Sigourney Weavers right now. Yes, yes. So the Sigourney Weaver quadrilogy. So uh, never heard of them. This is my first time. <laughs> JK, LOLs. Um, <laughs> T-T-Y. Uh, yeah. I mean, Alien's been a part of my film vocabulary for as long as I can remember. Same. Same. Uh, I always said if we said film vocabulary, I'd quit. <laughs> so I'm out. <laughs> no, I, uh, the, the first two um, have always been a big deal to me, and in particular. And we can kind of go into it as, as we navigate it if we're a part one, part two kind of guy. I know that's always a fun topic for people, but um, the first Alien for me is the last arguably the last big one that that we haven't touched on this show really in any capacity for me um in terms of like this is up there high for me I and it always has been um and there's a lot to talk about but i mean just in short description this is such a well-crafted movie the first one is um that I, i'm really excited to jump into it like this is in top 10 material for me right always has been Oh yeah, for, I mean, I'm just you sit here and I, I can see my xenophobe, xenophobe, oh, <laughs> xenomorph. No, oh, there's xenophobes in here everywhere. Uh, now I can see my xenomorph glow in the dark bank over here. I know I've got a xenophore, xeno, xeno, xeno. Why is my my <laughs> mouth don't work? My xenomorph uh, <laughs> retro action figure behind me over here. It's just next to a Congo figure. Yeah, shout out oh, yeah. to McRib. And so. Yeah, I just I love one and two so much. Three and four, not so much, but um, and I think I'll surprise you guys on some of my takes tonight. Cool, mm-hmm. I look forward to it. So yeah, yeah. Uh, any other general thoughts from you, Venomous? I just remember I, again. I cannot pinpoint for you the f- first time I saw Alien or Aliens. I really can't. I, was, it, I know that I saw Aliens first. Uh, I definitely saw Alien first because my dad liked Alien. Aliens. By the time Aliens hit, he was a a parent and not keeping up with with those kind of movies. So, but Alien was a big deal. um, Alien, I was allowed 
to what I, and it may be even a TV, because my parents were still pure, pretty puritanical even when it came to language in movies. But my dad would make edits on the VCR where he'd pull the audio plug out while he was dubbing it to where you didn't hear the word fuck. Oh, nice. Yeah, that puritanical. Your dad was a blockbuster <laughs> before there was a blockbuster. <laughs> yeah. That's dedication, so, though. There was no uh, nudity in it, so I and it was sci-fi, so I think I was allowed to watch it pretty early. Because, you know, dad was chomping at the bit to show me some shit he was interested in. So I just can't remember a time of that. I love Alien. I think Alien's a fantastic movie. I think Aliens is great, too. Again, um, I think we see a, a drop-off. And the next, and the third one, and especially the one after that, but those like first, of cliff proportions, yeah, like <laughs> Hank Williams Jr. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm anxious to talk about them. I, I can't believe it. We've gone over what 200 episodes without discussing these movies, and I think it's only because it's just the franchise. Because yeah, I, the, the the first two movies I think have always been held in high regard by all of us former co-hosts of the show, people that have been on the show. Mm-hmm. Everybody I know enjoys those first two movies yeah. in yeah. some capacity. All right. Jump into the first one. Let's dig in. Uh, Alien kicked it all off. 1979, directed by Ridley Scott, written by Dan O'Bannon, who had gone to direct Return of the Living Dead. Um, music from Jerry Goldsmith. Uh, Creature and Sets, they got uh, the help of H.R. Geiger on that. Creature's Head, also Carlo Rambaldi, uh, also famous for the Silver Bullet Werewolf, much maligned by others. Uh, This has got an incredible cast, starring Sigourney Weaver, Tom Skerritt, Veronica Cartwright, Harry Dean Stanton, uh, John Hurt, Ian Holm, Yafa Koto. I mean, it's important to point out right out of the gate with this that this is a this is like an old B grade movie made with all of A movie. Yes. Yeah. Quality. <clears throat> all the money behind it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how we want to handle the plot on this? I just want to say real quick. Um, what do you call the little moving images that we send each other through text? Gifs. I call them a gif. Gif. And the the, the, the people say the proper word is gif. GIF. Right. Yes, that even the creator has said it. I GIF. have the same problem with H.R. Geiger. I I will always call him H.R. Geiger, but I've I've heard through interviews that he he says it's pronounced Geiger, and I'm mm. like, no. really? Yeah. I've never heard anybody say that. Yeah. Mm. And I said I said no. Uh, <laughs> nope. Coven sounds too much like oven, man. <laughs> cool story, Geiger. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And I so back to serious talk here. Um, I'm just gonna I'm gonna let the cat out of the bag right off the top here. I, I always identified as an aliens guy first, and then alien. And I think that's because I saw it as a kid, and I love action movies. Each time I revisit this and this powerhouse cast, it's it's finally changed me. I I put alien first. You over just blew my mind. Aliens. I figured for sure because I knew you loved aliens. Yeah. Um, which is fine, I, but it, and I'll since we're having the conversation, I'll just clarify. I think Alien is a masterpiece. I think it's one of the the best movies ever made. Period. Mm-hmm. I think Aliens is a wildly entertaining, well made sequel. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't put it in the same category yeah. per se, but I think it's a a wonderful movie. Yeah, and I it's, 
I will agree with that sentiment, and I will say that Aliens, in my mind, is one of the best sequels ever made. Sure. And I think it's fascinating that they came in and said, no, we're not going to try and recreate that. We're going to do something completely different and They took fun. that attitude later, too, and it didn't work out so well. Right. But, <laughs> in this, but to come from that first one, which was such a big deal, and say, no, we're not going to try and do that again. Mm-hmm. We're going to take the good parts <laughs> of that and do something different and have fun with it. It was really cool, and it was, I mean, they nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any other thoughts on the first Alien? None cool. Now. Aliens. All right. No. On to the next. No, so uh, with Alien, I think what's really fascinating is that um, it, it, in a lot of ways, it's a love child of what was successful in the decade. And bear with me here. It's a pretty simple approach to it. Jaws and Star Wars. It's it's elements of both things. I don't think the director's trying to, to rip those off. No. I think it's just two sources of fascination in cinema from the previous decade that kind of naturally led them to put this together. Um, and right off the bat with part of the plot that I think is why this movie endures and why it's so interesting is that this is blue collar. Yeah. This That's is the big thing. Yeah. This is not um, hardcore science fiction with them speaking in uppity language that no one understands. This is basically what they refer to as space truckers. They yeah. are, uh, they're on a uh, commercial space tug. It's called uh, Nostromo, and it's returning to Earth with a seven-member uh, crew in stasis, as what they call where they have basically people suspended uh, in time. Uh, suspended which, animation. Yeah, which is interesting elements for storytelling as the franchise progresses. Um, but they're basically a crew. I mean, they come out from this because of an alert that is given to them from a transmission they're getting nearby from, was it a moon uh, nearby that mm-hmm. is coming from, but it brings them out of that. And that's no moon. Yeah. Immediately we're around. <laughs> you just broke me. Um, immediately we're in a, in a meal setting, bitching about bonuses, uh, and, and, and things that people can relate to. Yeah. And so I think that's what smoking cigarettes. Yeah. Instantly disarmed audiences in a way that, I think it's just a stroke of genius for the story. I think it was too. And me being somebody who comes from sci-fi, it is something that I don't think I had seen before where the future was lived in. Yes. And it was dirty. It was industrial. And it was, sure it was space, but it was just like living here. You're working for a corporation who, as you find out, doesn't give a shit. About you, just about profits. Yep. And yeah, it, it, I'd never seen that that side of it before, and and I think that is something that's so enduring about it and so relatable. Because I mean, you've got guys talking about trying to negotiate their cut, you know, sure. and, and all these different things. And it this movie very well could have been on a ship at sea. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Good point. Yeah. And and I like the the description you use there which is that it's lived in because it does feel that way and the set design everything about this movie the 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 visual approach to it there is no weakness and so even even within this they've got different layers built for this that's all on a stage but it it all feels real because you follow them through some parts of the ship are hot yeah and sweaty as shit like it's not this perfectly climate controlled your barracks are kind of shitty. The food you're eating sucks. Like it's 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 not the shiny future 
that's presented to you in so much science fiction. Yeah. It's not the USS Enterprise. That's correct. <laughs> so the transmission that they get from the nearby moon is detected, and it awakens the crew because the company policy requires that any potential distress signal be looked into, yep. which is why we uh, have the reason to land, because right. naturally you go, why would you bother? But it's company policy, so they go to look into it. Uh, while doing so, the ship is damaged while landing. Um, so then you end up kind of breaking this crew off. You've got part of the crew working on repairs while part of the crew explores the terrain. Uh, and then they discover a derelict alien ship. And um, part of the transmission we find out is a warning, mm-hmm. but they cannot communicate that at that point from the ship. And that's uh, the other then. thing about this. Crew members aren't aliens in this. This right. is just humanity is in space, but we've not discovered anything else. Sure. In the time that we're, we're they're basically on salvage jobs. Yeah. But there's not been any life that's been discovered while they've been and out. It's there. that same yeah. kind of relatability that audiences had with Han Solo in, in yeah. a lot of ways. This just kind of grounding it in the the hustle guy. I also think they did a great job in the, especially in the beginning where they wake out of the cryo sleep. You could almost feel how cold that ship is in the inside. Yeah. From just no movement for long, it, yeah, long periods of time. Yeah. Yeah. Um while they're uh exploring and they're trying to relay the message of a warning actually they discover eggs uh with a great sequence where we're uh looking over it and looking into it and what we call the face hugger springs out and attaches. Um while the ship is repaired enough to uh, resume travel, they get out of there and they bring, um, you know, our guy in with the face hugger on it. I, I, what's his character's name? You guys remember? See, I was thinking more about Ash, which is the the cyborg on board. Yeah, John Hurt plays him. Yeah, John I just Hurt can't plays him. I can't, I can't either. So we we'll just say John. We get yeah. John back on the ship, and um, because Ash, the 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 synthetic life form, breaks protocol. Because he's more fascinated in the data that we can gather from this alien life form yeah. than following pro- safety. And we don't protocol. know that. Yeah, he's and we don't know at the time yeah. that yeah. He's, he's part of that. That's right, 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 right. Which is a chilling element to <clears throat> to the storytelling when that unfolds. But also, I want to point out the conundrum and kind of the the human analysis that all viewers have in this moment, where we need to bring this guy back on. And I think every single person watching this movie has their initial instinctual thought. Well, you know, it's you think to yourself, would I let that person on? Would I follow protocol and say, uh-uh, quarantined, can't do that? Versus, you know, we need to help this person. Versus, Imagine. we don't, I mean, going to see this movie, even back then, you know the alien's going to be dangerous. But if we're putting ourselves in the position of the characters, we don't. We know that we've just discovered a potential life form. What are you doing? You can't, you can't not look into this. Like, And so there's this interesting kind of moral dilemma and what how people would treat kind of ethically that situation. I mean, what would you guys do? Would you want to keep them contained but safe as, as much as you could? I mean, that's the... Yeah, I think that's what you would have to do in right. that situation. Granted, you, this is your crewmate, your co-worker. Right. But on the other hand, you don't want to end up like they all end up. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's the challenge, too, of being a leadership or colleague. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you're in charge... You're following protocol because you have to, and that's that's CYA. Cover your ass mm-hmm. by the you know no matter what comes of it. But if if that's your colleague, right, you're like no fuck protocol. We're bringing them in. Yeah. 
So we get we get him back in there. They're monitoring him, and the face hugger detaches and is found dead. And so it, there's some curiosity there, and you kind of think, weird. Okay, yeah, we're finding out on the floor. Of course, we find out first that when they try to cut the thing off, that its blood is acidic. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point, too, which is genius storytelling because we're setting the table for why they don't just blow this thing into the wall yes. immediately. Because yeah. if you bre- breach your hull, you're, all dead. you're fucked. Yep. Yeah. It's a good point. Um, <clears throat> and the, it's, there's a, the fun scene where they're following it multiple deck levels. Deck by deck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so once we've got this face hugger detached, we find ourselves at the crew meal uh, before they go to return back to their basically hibernation, stasis, whatever. Um, and that's that's our famous scene. That's arguably the famous scene in, oh, of yeah. the movie. Anybody want to jump into that one? So the problem is that because I saw Aliens first, any memory I have of this scene as a child is from Spaceballs. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> which is John Hurt. Yeah. Which yeah. Is, that's what's great about it. Not again. <laughs> hello, my darling. Hello, my honey. Hello, my ragtime gal. Uh, yeah. Um, but anyways... This is chilling. I mean, I cannot picture being an audience seeing this for the first time. Oh my god, I can't either. And and not to mention, that face hugger looked so organic and real. It didn't look fake. Mm, It looked like they found that somewhere. Yeah. And then, so you're disarmed enough that even though the chest burster looks a little puppety, your brain is already convinced because of how good that face hugger looked. Good point. And... I think that's uh, a big something you can attribute to the major success of this is because of all of that creature design. Yeah, is really Without what made question. this successful. And because, they never tried to go too big. That's the other thing that to point out. There's never these huge sweeping sci-fi set pieces that they're trying to sell you with. Everything is contained. Yes, the face hugger is absolutely built for what it's supposed to do. With the the tail around your neck, and then there's those bladders that move on the mm-hmm. back where it's pumping air into the host. So you've never seen anything like it, so it ne- doesn't necessarily look fake to you because that's put together. And then the chest burster comes out, and while it has the familiar set of uh, two eyes and a mouth, it's still uh, alien enough and not based on anything that your brain readily recognizes that that also gives it a pass of, even though there's a little puppety thing to it, but it's not like if you were making a puppet of a squirrel yeah, and it looked so fake because you know what a real squirrel looks like. Right. So you get a pass on that too because it's so alien that it doesn't doesn't look as cheap as maybe it would with the materials they're using. So I think of the creature design, especially the when it's the xenomorph is fully grown, how they shot that thing meant all the difference in the world. Oh, yeah. And this, I was actually at one time kind of afraid to watch this in HD on Blu-ray because I was afraid that when you got to see a little more detail that there was going to be some shots ruined because of it. And I don't think in. that's the case no, at all. it looks all. fine. And the opening, we didn't mention it earlier, but a note I did have was that opening was very Star Wars. Yeah. Where it's that ship coming in from over the camera. Like, it was very Star yeah, Wars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So, so with this famous scene, there's I think there's two things I want to point out on on why it's so effective. But just so listeners know, in case they've skipped the movie and want us to just spoil everything for them, 
we basically, you know, we've got our guy back that had the face hugger on him. We're all happy around the meal, and and they He's really feeling fine. Yeah, they disarm you with all of this just average conversation. So I kind of alluded to earlier, um, and and then he starts not feeling well, and. It, he sells it so well, and this goes again. First, you think he's choking, yeah, like this, on what he's eating. This goes back to the talent involved with this movie, and, and why it it really. I hate to use the word elevates, but that's what it does. I mean, we go to the next level with this because of the talent that we have able to do this. He's so subtle in the way that he begins it. Uh, but every, I think we've all been in those moments where something startling starts to unfold, but you don't understand it. Yeah. And so I think they masterfully do this because they continue talking, and then it's like this immediate concern, like, "Hey, what's happening? Mm-hmm. Oh, 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 my God!" And then panic. Yeah, he started to choke. We got to help him. And here's the other key on why I think this scene works so well: they don't immediately have this thing rip out of him. You get to see the blood pop inside the shirt first, and that. Almost it's like it's coming through his pores first, like terrifying. a spritz. It's terrifying because you don't know as a viewer what you're getting ready to see. Yeah. You just, you instantly have kind of the, from the empathy angle, it's like, what what am I watching as another human? Is something popping out of this guy's body? Well, come to find out the face hugger laid its, its creature while it hugged around, um, and now it's ripping out of his body. I mean, it's like an incubator that's, that's housed this. And it rips out. Uh, Veronica Cartwright is the third part on what sells this. Her reaction, as well as her reactions throughout the film, elevate the fear in a way that Shelley Duvall did in The Shining. Just She helps sell it. She's just, oh my God, and blood is sprayed up on her from this poor bastard. And then a lot of it with her and Shelley Duvall is they have very uh, large eyes that emote a lot. Yep. That's a good point. Some wabi-sabi features. They uh, so the uh, I don't know what that means. Once, I'll teach you someday. It's where where we all just start talking backwards and fall down. Um, no, so the creature then has popped out of him. It's it's the it's the famous scene uh, of the film. It absolutely terrified. It's the famous scene of the franchise. Yeah. yeah, and it scurries off. And now we've got a creature on board, and he's gonna grow, or she he gonna grow rapidly. Do you know one thing about this movie that always stuck with me, even as a little kid when I watch it now, is when they show the scene of after his helmet's been removed, how thick the glass is in his helmet. I remember as a kid being like, whoa. Yeah. Because it looks like it's three inches thick. Yeah. But yeah, that for some reason always stuck with me. So at this point, we've got a creature on board now. And now you've got these kind of classic concepts and tropes of film. That you can apply to this scenario. And you're not on, like, some two-seater Guardians of the Galaxy ship. You're on this fucking freighter thing that is vast and enormous. And finding this is like a fucking needle in a haystack. Oh, yeah. 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 And and so it gets trickier, too, as they kind of um, are trying to figure out... Because this thing is slowly picking them off. We get into slasher style, one Mm -hmm. by one. Very much. This struck me... As more of a slasher this time yep. than it has in the past. And again, just kind of getting into things that had come out right around that area, that Halloween. era. Yeah. Halloween. And like Halloween, why this is so rewatchable and so great is they're patient. They don't go jump right out of the gate and overdo it. We, and they don't show you a lot. Yeah. Uh, with these victims. Um, 
they're, guys... they, they're vast like spaces as far as how much room is on the ship, like I previously mentioned. Yeah. But at the same time, they also portray to you how close quarters it is at the same time. Yeah. Which I think also gives you, even though it's this giant-ass freighter, there's still a little bit of claustrophobia that they play into with you as well. Sure. Yeah. And like so many people, you've <laughs> at some point had to pop your head into an attic or a mm-hmm. crawl space in the dark with a flashlight. This shit's terrifying. Mm-hmm. Imagine that being everything. And you're isolated in space. And you know there's that no there's help something coming. trying to kill you. Once we've established that you got some people missing, you know, like, we got a problem. Yep. Yeah. Um, anybody want to go into any of the particular kills? Uh, nothing... It stands out right off for me. Dallas, Tom scared that. that yeah, one, that's an iconic. That call. scared that's what the I was gonna shit say. out of me as a kid with him and <clears> the <throat> director's yeah. cut's got a good scene with him too. And that, if you've ever seen it, where he's pasted into the wall. Uh, mm. This time around, I went for theatrical cuts. I did Same. too this time because <laughs> I was like, I want to watch it the way the first audience. That's exactly it. the what because yeah. I have. The choice, and I've watched the director's cut before, but I was like, you know what? This time I'm just going to go straight theatrical. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, we basically go through starting to pick off these people more and more. At the same time, we have some really important revelations uh, with the company. That to me, the the Ripley is now the the ranking officer. And so she has access to Mother, which is the computer system now. Which is funny to me that, obviously now we live in a day and age where we all have flat screen everything. And so much of the technology in this movie is still very analog. Mm -hmm. But it still works. Yeah. Because of how industrial everything is in it, I think it still plays and does not take you out of it. Because it it never tried to oversell it either. Right. So it's aged incredibly well. That too, but we also know that the supercomputer we carry in our pockets is more powerful than the first space shuttle that went into space. Yeah. And so there's still a believability on our part to understand that you could even do that with analog technology. Right. And even though this is supposed to be more futuristic, it's still believable because you're like, yeah, sure. I I watched and yeah, so much of it. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was gonna say yeah, I've watched space shuttle launches, and I've also seen how shitty the technology looked in Star Wars. You right. know, like it's believable when it's yeah. like that that joke where they they said like the Jetsons would be it by this year, and then it's just pizza boxes telling us not to eat the cardboard. <laughs> so, right. so you know, there's right. there's a certain believability with where we land uh, in the future with a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, so Ripley gets access to to Mother, and I. I find that mother set to be equally kind of cool and comfortable looking and claustrophobic at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know how that's possible to feel both those things at the same time about, but to me, the ash reveal is scarier to me than the alien. Hmm. The heel turn, the finding out that, Oh no, uh, the company wanted this thing to be on here. Your entire crew is expendable. Yeah. You're out, you really are out here alone. And the one that just fucked you over and is working for him, that's not a human being. That it's, doesn't, ha- that doesn't have feelings. It's, it's not a human, human, it's Bilbo. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't have feelings 
that is an artificial construct made to look like a person. So if you're expecting some sort of you can reason with it, that's thrown out the window the minute it's attacking Ripley and she hits it and all of a sudden you're bleeding a milky substance and then when they... Uh, not constructed real durably. Can we say that about <laughs> Ash? Because uh, as she hits him like two or three times in the head, his head starts to tear off of his body. But that scene where he's rolling across the wall, short, short now. Oh, yeah. I mean... Well, and his, his robotic rage is terrifying. Yeah, I mean, it's in the same way that we have, you know, frequently when we hear uh, accounts from survivors of serial killers, like just shark eyes, nothing behind him, just trying to end you. And, and you, you get that on a dime. that he has. Yeah. Like... is really good. That that moment to me is, is very scary. I don't know why, but that almost trumps the alien to me in a yeah. lot of ways. Maybe it's the betrayal end of it. And that absolutely knowing you are by yourself and nobody gives a flying fuck what's about that. Oh, and there's also this scary ass thing in here. And there's this terrifying artificial construct. Yeah, yeah. I'd lay down like a bitch. This robot is is more than glad to let you go. Yeah, yeah. I'd shoot myself into space. So I think it's. So I think Ash is where you really get your science fiction element. I mean, yes, we're in space, but also you get reinforcement of blue collar. You know, just the company's out to fuck you. Oh, yeah, it's about profit. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And so when they have him and his heads off, and and they manage to plug him in to be able to extract information out of him, that scene to me is is cool too. It's, some of the effects not great. Let's be honest. Sure, <laughs> but all in all, that adds mainly with him. I think everything else. Oh, is yeah. pretty close. Yeah, to just those scenes where it's it's clearly the fake head, and then. Yeah. But it's still done very well, don't get me sure. wrong. Yeah. Uh, that adds, I think, more sci-fi to it than almost any other aspect of the movie. That that mechanical, fake, synthetic being that we were able to create. It's also fascinating upon rewatch, once you know, and you're kind of eyeing him like at dinner I definitely segments. watched him more at dinner this yeah, time Yeah, where he keeps getting food, but you don't see him eating. He's getting the milk. You know, mm-hmm. it's 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 interesting for the rewatch. Yes, without yeah. question. Uh, anything else before we jump into the, the last, the finale? No, nope. because uh, you know we we continue to pick these people off, and we find ourselves in a situation um, where we are destroying the the whole the whole ride. Yeah. And they going to uh, detach in like an escape pod, basically. Yep, you got a, a, a shuttle that they're going to escape with, and eventually it's just Ripley and Jones the cat heading onto the shuttle as. Uh, Nostromo explodes, and it again is just filmmaking of the highest order. The the way that we go through the motions of her getting ready to lay down and and prepare herself now that she's escaped for safety, and they draw it out. I mean, it's really it's almost hypnotic in a way, in the sense of like you have escaped this, and you're kind of just reveling and basking in in the sci-fi of it she you know in her space but the it looks good and we're watching her just do her thing and you and you keep waiting for the credits gets me every time yep and then, i know it's gonna happen but it still gets me every time I'm and it's like ah, oh, the way they do it is scary as shit we've we've got our alien popping out sideways that had hid in the shuttle uh and it's terrifying what it's akin to is being out in the woods and like going to sit down or put your hand on a tree limb and you see a snake move that you didn't yeah. know was there. Yeah. Yeah. 
You're like, oh, ah, whoa. Yeah. Like, I know it's not, uh, okay. And they do it just long enough to where you start to question if you're going to see something, but it's not too long. Yeah. And so it's really effective with visually with the way it kind of pops out of the dark. And you think, I got nowhere to go. Oh, my God. Right. And that's part of the, the, the genius of the Geiger design, Geiger design, of both the spaceships and the creatures. Mm-hmm. Very true. Yeah. Um, and so then uh, there's nothing too out of the ordinary in our approach. She straps on the suit. It's brilliant. Yeah. It's, it's brilliant. It's done really well. Um, the airlock door blasts it into space like a vacuum. And the way that it catches and is staying with it. Oh, my God. It's so good. Yeah. So good. It's art. It's art. It really is. <laughs> I, I, I don't use that as often as some people do with movies. This truly is... Uh, a B movie and an art film. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so much going on there. Now that we've gotten philosophical, uh, let me take you. It's just gonna be if, about if everything get, being a dick. If you guys think you know about hard times, okay. Hard times is when I was about twelve or thirteen. We didn't even have no National Geographic's in my house. Was this going towards the underwear? So Ripley and her draws. <laughs> That's hard times, Daddy. <laughs> These kids got it way too easy today. <laughs> yeah, it looks like she stole them from a 12-year-old boy. Right, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, they're in the future in space. She's working for a company. They can't get her a pair that fits right. It's like, oh, that's where the cat went. <laughs> oh, Lord of mercy. So wrapping up time. the first film, Alien, Masterpiece, going blue <laughs> here. Uh, <laughs> um. I mean, I can't recommend that enough. Yeah, I you, mean, if you haven't seen Alien, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, no. what are you waiting on? Stone Cold Classic. Oh my god. Yeah. And 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 I I will not uh, listen to anybody talk shit on it. No, it's hands. We just <laughs> yeah. recently met some of the the cast at uh, Horror Hound, which was awesome. Yeah, who did you get to meet for that one? Tom Skerritt. Um, who turned, Tom Skerritt's got to be in his 80s He now. just turned 90. Holy like, shit. Wow. He just turned 90 like a week after he was at Horror Hound. Wow. Um, and then Veronica Cartwright was there. And then I met um, oh, cool. Yafik Koto uh, years back at, at a different yeah. convention. Um, so, yeah, this, this is one of my favorites. I always wish I could have met Harry Dean Stanton. Oh. Any chance I can talk about him or Warren Oates yeah. is, a, is a victory. I'm glad we could get him on here. Yeah. And it's funny too. One last thing. Now that we mentioned him, uh, he told, um, you know, Ridley Scott, I, I don't like sci-fi movies. I don't like horror movies. And Scott goes, "Then you're perfect for this. I, that's exactly what I need your character for." Yeah. So, and because, he, because he steals every movie. He's this in. movie was not acted as either one of those things at all. Yep. It w- it was played. V- that's not to be detrimental of anything else, but it was played very straight, like a straight drama. Oh, yeah. That's why The Exorcist is so good. I mean, good. look at some of the actors you've they, got, though. Honestly, I mean, these these are top-tier actors. Oh, yeah. It's an incredible cast. And like The Exorcist and, and some others that are regarded in just the upper echelon, it's because they tried to stay grounded while throwing as much effort and quality at it as they could. I like this movie a lot, and, and as I watch them more and more, I'm like, you know, they're... This and the thing are very similar. Oh yeah, very similar. And the thing is like top two horror movies sure. of all time for me. And I don't know what gives it the edge over Alien for me, but they're they're very similar movies as far as like a great cast and just all of that kind of thing. Yeah. Shall we move on? No, mm. let's just go another. Let's hour. just yeah, let's keep going on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So 
uh, we've got what seven years later, Aliens in 1986. This is directed by James Cameron. I don't know if you guys have heard of him, uh, John, right? John yeah. Cameron. <laughs> um, we've got music from James Horner. Uh, another pretty impressive cast. Uh, Stan Winston Studios helped with special effects on this. Uh, we've got Sigourney Weaver back. We also have Michael Bean, Paul Reiser, Lance Henriksen, Bill Paxton, Janique Goldstein, and Mark Rolston. Um, and a completely different approach. Very. Uh, in, in terms of uh, our first film, which is uh, just straight horror. And this is, I mean, it's still got some horror to it, but man, this is fun. Yeah. This is one of the funnest damn movies we'll cover. And, we, on this and show. we've always said when, when this has come up a conversation that this is a sci fi movie with horror elements. And as I watched it this time, I'm like, eh, I don't know. There's an awful lot of horror elements. Sure. I, I, don't, I almost don't give it. What do you uh, let's put this question? What do you think it is in this movie that tips it more sci fi for you? The action is that just the action you think it is? Yeah, I don't find I don't find the uh weapons to be particularly uh space age, yeah, you know, always firing lasers off at each other. True, I mean, they're they're counting rounds and doing stuff like that, yeah, they're still. But I, I just, to me, it landed, and I've been, I've been of the same mind about that for years. And this time around, I was like, I don't know, this is still, this is still pretty damn horror elements. Maybe it's yeah. the big machines, like the the robotics are a little more. Or that, and like that's that. what it is for me. I think of those first. Was it do they call exoskeletons? Or, yeah, yeah. Um, I always think of that first. But at the same time, I think the the reason this movie works and why they had to do it was still keep those elements of horror. Um, that's how I always picture myself on the forklift at work. That that's actually what I was in. <laughs> it's funny you mention that because I used to have that toy, and so I'm right. I had another xenomorph in here. If you look up on the shelf up there, uh, right in the middle, um, next. Oh, to, is that the gorilla xenomorph? The, I had that one as a kid. The gorilla xenomorph. There, for some reason, they put out this toy line four, five years after this movie. I and I think that I was probably an early teenager when i was getting these but that was when i was starting to display them and yeah they had that big queen yep. that had the the bladder you squeezed on the back of her head to make her uh the little mouth shoot out yep and it was like the xenomorphs it was all of the different like they had one like a battering ram yes. guy and, and yes. the, i, I like the gorilla one because he was the closest looking uh of the toys and back he had there. those long arms yeah. and his head fills with water yes so he could spit Yes. Um, but anyways, I think back to when that line came out, and I'm like, God, I'd give anything to have all those again. I don't know what I did with them. But, you know, you had uh, the, the big guns with the, the Space oh, yeah. Marines. They were dope. It was a dope toy and line. that queen was huge, especially when you put the tail on. <laughs> oh, yeah. And didn't it have an action, too, where you pushed a button and the tail whipped to yeah. the side? Yep. The thing was fucking awesome. So, yeah, for some some... I don't know why, but it sparked a toy line years after years the movie later. was made. So, yeah, especially maybe, for something that never had an animated series that I can remember. Because back no. in the eighties, they'd turn every rated R movie into a. It thing may for have kids. it may have coincided with no, because three would have been years after that. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. But they it was a cool ass line of toys. Yeah, so and all there that was such a boom of all that marketing. Yeah, that especially came with some of those cartoons and the toy explosion. At the and it end. also came alongside with the growth of things like Walmart and Meyer, and so now you had these bigger box chains that mm-hmm. you could push some of these things to. But yeah, when you said exoskeleton, it just took me back to a time and place and i was like holy shit i used to have a figure of rib uh ripley in an exoskeleton i actually drove here in one 
Okay. Anyway, anywho, where are we at? Did we do introductions? <laughs> we certainly did not do a synopsis of this movie. So, wow. should I just hit a quick one? Sure. So, essentially, we're 57 years later. Uh, we have a nice false flag in that we open with Ripley having a nightmare of waking up out of stasis and having a chest burster. Um, she obviously does come out of stasis, and uh, she's found by another ship, um, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's of the company. Of yep. the company. They yep. find her, and they're, they're pretty upset that she blew the last ship up. And she's like... 57 years yeah. ago. Yeah, which is true to uh, uh, capitalism. People don't forget. Hey, hey, we're pretty mad about you blowing up that ship that's outdated technology from 57 years ago. Um, Never mind the fact that most of the people she's known and loved are adults and dead now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fuck you. You you blew up our ship. Yeah. And so now they're trying to like pitch her away to to get back into their good graces and that there is a colony of workers. Imagine that, that they're worried about. And that um, they feel like this alien presence of some sort has had something to do with their demise. And they know that she's the only person who knows what this alien is. Is this colony on that planet that they had discovered previously? Where they reroute back to after they've gotten her? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because it's now established. Yeah. Yeah. They've put like... uh, weather changers and shit like that so they can start mining it basically oh so it's the the planet that ripley and her crewmates had found okay yeah previously. that's tied to alien day lv426 okay and we also didn't mention that when they were there before they found the face huggers they found a giant like decayed alien life form that had its chest yeah within like the, an ancient yep. life form that had and its it was chest. its distress signal that had or it was a warning yeah. That it was back in that first movie saying stay away, but they didn't know that. Yeah. Anyway. So now um, they want her to pair up with these space marines to go and try and help the people of this colony. And that's the basic setup. And of course she says no, not interested. And then finally she comes around. To try to quell the nightmares. Yeah. She's like, we're going to destroy these, right? Yeah, right. She's got to get it out of her head. <laughs> Guess what? They don't want to destroy them. They want to find ways to keep them. <laughs> Another just fantastic cast. Yeah. And and she so she gets on the ship with these space marines and uh, quickly discovers that Bishop mm. that's on board is a synthetic. And she is not happy to have a synthetic on board with her previous history with yeah, Ash. Last one tried to rip my head off. Keep yeah. him away from me. Yeah. And uh but Bishop seems at least to have a different demeanor than what Ash did. He said, well, it must have been this model. They were they were twitchy. They were faulty. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and he says, I couldn't harm anybody if I wanted to. It goes against my uh, most basic programming. I love the way that we find out Bishop is a synth in that they're doing the knife trick. And he's doing the, you know, where you tap it through the table. And uh, he's holding down Bill Paxton's hand as he's doing it. He's like, no, man. Bill Paxton, as Bill Paxton as he's ever been. And here's the thing. Bill Paxton went on to do so many excellent things. He had so many performances that are better than this, but I think of him young in this movie. Game over, man. Like his expressions when they're doing the knife thing and him yelling is just, oh, he, he just steals those scenes. He's excellent in this. I also forgot to mention that at first the corporation doesn't believe her about the alien. Yeah. Or they pretend not to. Oh, for sure they pretend because you know Ash is sending back 
info yeah, exactly. the whole time. They're like, you're full of shit. You did, you know, you you screwed this up anyway. Uh, it's like, yeah, me and the cat bounced out on our own for no reason. <laughs> yeah, fifty-seven yeah. years. So they get there, and they're trying to find this lost colony that's not Roanoke, and they gone. <laughs> yeah, gone, gone. Ghost town destroyed on the inside. Barricades built and destroyed. Like they cannot find these people. There has been a crisis event here. Yeah. Uh, and then th- they find this creature moving, and they shoot at it. And you're like, oh man, we're already getting aliens. No, we're not getting aliens. We get a little girl. Newt. Newt. They call her Rebecca. It's not my name. <laughs> and, and this plays in with Ripley because we see that Ripley had a daughter. Uh, who is now grown up and deceased in the time that Ripley's been out in space doing this fucking blue collar job that went to shit. So Ripley's maternal instincts... And feeling of loss automatically makes her take this kid and, there's in and such start a, looking after this a kid. Big statement there in the middle of Reagan's commercial era, where everybody's just the huge consumers and dedicating themselves to careers, but they never hit you over the head with it. Yeah. It's, it's there if you want to think about it, yeah. but it's not the focal point of the film. And their rapport is fantastic. Yeah, and uh, we 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 really didn't overstate it in the first movie but ripley is such a badass in that first movie and now to come to this movie and you show that she can be maternal and a badass like just to show her range as an actress and the range of the character and i don't think people mention ellen ripley as a final girl enough oh yeah which is insane because she's like the ultimate she is the ultimate final woman yeah Yeah. And, (laughs) and the thing is that's also important to point out and i kind of glossed over this and forgot with the first one is Nobody had seen a sci-fi movie like that, mm. where it came in that intense. And it's the same thing with her. Like She was so bankable and believable as a woman, but also a badass. At that time, especially, how many science fiction movies can you name that had a female lead? Yeah. Yeah. Good luck. And <laughs> and the thing is, is she is so uniquely talented that they, there hasn't been a lot of recreating that kind of niche that she carved out. I, w- I would argue Charlie's there on a little bit with Fury Road mm-hmm. and her capabilities. Um, but for the most part, Sigourney Weaver is a singular force. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And Absolutely. it's on full display in these first two movies, especially. Yeah. Um, so then they do find the colonists. Mm. And the colonists have all been impregnated by the facehuggers. Yep. They're all in a hive in one Some location. pretty gnarly visuals. It is like very gnarly visuals. Suspended. And, and then we get a chest burst. And then we find out that uh, they're right by the boiler system or whatever important system in that area, in that building, that, and they are not allowed to use bullets. Yeah, because they'll cause a thermonuclear reaction. Yeah. And so this is one of the first memorable frightening scenes for me in the film is that they see them on the radar. they told you not to use guns? Yeah, I was like, well, <laughs> bull butter. I'm an American. <laughs> um, but they, you see them coming at them on the radar, but they can't see them. And that is just uh, the, the tension in that moment. Playing that, that claustrophobia. Oh, man. It's like, God, we're stuck in this place. All this weird shit's going on. We know life forms are approaching us, and we don't know where they're at. That is... Yeah. And again, the technology is industrial. 
so it's rudimentary. It's advanced, but it's rudimentary at the same time. That basic radar on the gun. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and so then they decide, you know what, a few of us did hide some bullets, and so we're just going to start shooting. (laughs) (laughs) And then they all start dropping like flies. It's and it's the perfect blend of, of of just action and at times grotesque horror. And I I was just looking it up because I couldn't remember what your predator was and just wondering how much of this directly just forced the need to like just go bigger. Like yeah. let's create even this singular killer because they do it so well in this to where they keep going back and forth. It's like okay, we scared you now. Let's make this really fun. Let's let's bring the the action in, and and that's the other thing. They did what what sequels should do. Alien was scary. You were in space by yourself, and there was one. Well, now you're on a planet, but there's fucking hundreds of them. And that's really the brilliant of calling it aliens and not Alien Two. Sure, mm-hmm. good point. You know, I mean, that's really the brilliant decision behind that. In that, like, okay, the first movie's called Alien. There's one alien, and yeah. as as brilliant as the sequel is, I think I think credit has to be given to James Cameron. Sure, it's the same formula he brought to the Terminator sequel, and that worked yeah. tremendously. Whatever it is, he did, he gave you more Terminators. Yeah, why not? And, and the second one, so I for those two movies to be sequels that he did, he did a tremendous job and did exactly what you are supposed to do for a sequel. Yeah, yeah, and I, from I think this one had a pretty troubled beginning in terms of getting it actually made mm-hmm. and i think he um because he directed and wrote this and I, I think he was instrumental in it and i think he had people um behind the scenes kind of making sure this happened but it, mm-hmm. it had kind of this troubled journey getting there but it, you can tell the passion is there this is a movie made with with love and it's important to point out too with cameron that much like, uh, especially directors of the past and like the studio area, like James Whale, he would have these cast of regulars. So does Cameron. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of these guys you will see over and over again. Michael Bean, he's had a fine career, but the heart of it is with Cameron. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think they're a well-oiled machine to have as like this Marine group mm-hmm. um, that that is a large. And they're part all of why believable in their yeah. roles. Yeah. yeah, because they're all comfortable. And, and kind of vibing together. Yeah. It's, it, it, it just it clicks together perfectly. I think that one of the scariest things in this movie to me is when Ripley goes in to, to rest with Newt and then wakes up and realizes they've been locked in this infirmary room and a face hugger has been let loose in there to try to dispose of her. And when you... If Paul Reiser, you fucking... He's another element to point out. Man, he's great in this because... He's such a fucking wiener to and begin we, with. We also elevate the big the big company, the yeah. big corporation elements right. that we only dance around. Yes. The first one, he's on full display. He is a punchable suit face. He is such a dickhead when he makes that heel turn. So he's the one who locks Ripley in there. Yeah. Uh, the scenes are terrifying. When you see that face hugger run across the floor, that's a great visual. And you find out that and then to add the next layer to that, it's soundproof. And so I remember that freaking me out as a kid, and that like, hey, you can shout all you want, but Ripley's trying hear to you. break that glass slash plastic, whatever it is they've got as a window, and that chair's just bouncing, and you're barely getting a scuff on the outside. Like it's such a hopeless situation. That scene where the one jumps and Newt pins it by its tail. Yeah, like it's great. 
And then, of course, my and when Paul Reiser switches off the security camera monitor when no one's looking so they can't see Ripley trying to wave for attention, that scene's great and it's terrifying. Beautifully done. Riser is fantastic. And I'm not a huge Paul Riser guy. I, I don't find his... Uh, comedy particularly funny no. i was never a mad about i was gonna you say guy. are you mad about him no uh any of that uh, i like him in beverly hills cop i did like this my is two not dads my when i was a kid <laughs> i did uh, what's fun though is that when they bring him back in stranger things the moment he comes on screen i'm he, like you son yeah, of a bitch you. but then he's a good guy right right which was brilliant <laughs> on their part yeah because he comes on the screen i'm like oh i've seen aliens and i don't <laughs> like him. son of a bitch <laughs> yeah so so we forgot to set up that they are stranded uh, yes. After that alien uh, debacle, and many of them die, they've got this escape craft, but then there's an alien into the escape craft, and it crashes. They're stranded. Game over, man. Game over. Then that's when we find... And another one of the most terrifying moments ever in a movie for me is when Bishop... Is crawling through that crawls tunnel. Crawls through that, t- that oh, yeah. fucking tunnel. My claustrophobia, boy. Woo! Big time. <laughs> and he's he's steady moving quick through it. But it's like watching Andy Dufresne climb through that shit tunnel. <laughs> he's just moving. You see, he's like moving his arms to move himself along through this thing. And it's like perfectly just to his slim, Ugh. slim, slender body. Ugh, gross. So that Ripley, uh, Michael Bean's character, which, why am I blanking on the name of that character? There's anyway. A of, there's a lot of characters. Anyway, he uh, somehow realizes Ripley's in there, breaks her out. And then they're all ready to fuck. Paul Reiser up. Yeah. And I wish they would have. Right. It would have been so satisfying. Um, so then we get another great scene where the aliens are in the ceiling and it's also this bit with the radar again mm-hmm. that they can't find them. They don't know where they're at but they know they're coming. Um, but then Newt gets taken. Yeah. Yeah. But luckily Ripley had given her like her tracker watch that was given to her by the Space Marines. So like, they can at least... She Ripley is going to find her before yeah, she leaves. Ripley would die before she left yes. that ch- child there. And then we find and we meet the queen. Oh, yeah. Because they're like, if there's all these eggs here... Something's laying them. Who's laying these eggs? To quote uh, Eddie Murphy, also, Beverly Hills Cop again. <laughs> Damn, that's a huge bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and there's also some aliens guarding the eggs mm-hmm. which is interesting like those drones they're very insect very in this beehive movie. sort of thing yeah it's what's fascinating too is you're nearing the end of the second movie and they're finally now just going all in yeah which is so impressive yeah i mean you get plenty of aliens i'm not saying that yeah they're yeah depriving but, you but this, it's like they're on full display going Balls to the wall here. And this is what grows the mythology. Yeah. And this is why we get two more, four, six more movies. Like, <laughs> right. This is what grows the mythology is that it's a much bigger universe than just facehuggers and xenomorphs. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, so we hit the we hit these eggs with a flamethrower. Yeah, because Ripley finds new. Yeah. And, and she's yet to have a facehugger attached. Yep. So she gets new and then, yeah, goes in, sees this queen and is like, you know what? Mm-mm. That flamethrower just starts burning them eggs up. <laughs> Let's get it. And then starts launching like grenades in at the bitch. Oh yeah. And that scene where the queen detaches <clears throat> her her thorax or whatever the fuck it is <laughs> that, that the 
Yeah. Eggs are rolling out of, detaches itself from it. That thing, the legs are terrible. I mean, it's it's so gigantic. Yeah. And, and that, I mean, what again, great sequel. Not only do I get more numbers of it, but now you've made the bad bigger and scarier Everything's as well. Everything's elevated. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and just when it starts to look like our hero's not going to get away. Here Bishop. come Bishop. The one we, we were worried about not Here's trusting. Here's the one, yep. yep, we were afraid to trust, and he comes to the rescue. And that, that, my friends, is when I fell in love with Lance Hendrickson oh, at yeah. a young age. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, Bishop, Bishop is my hero. Which is why I'm so disappointed later <laughs> as we move on with the franchise. Sure. Uh, Bishop, so yeah, it's ripped in he, half. Yeah, Bishop saves them, but you see as they're going away, you get you something's awry in the landing gear. Yeah. So they land. Everybody's safe, right? Nope. All of a sudden, Bishop gets ripped in half. Upper torso flung across the room by this queen that has hitched a ride with him. Milk everywhere. Milk everywhere. <laughs> Meak. <laughs> and that's when we get the famous Ripley and the exoskeleton. Fighting the queen. Get away Real from steel. her. You, you bitch! <laughs> it's a great scene. Oh, yeah. that, it, it is. That, it's been parodied so well, much. Well, it's one of those things, too, thing. where even us describing it sounds kind of goofy. Yeah. But it's not goofy when you're watching no, it. It's, it's done not. well. Yeah. It's done so well and, again, so blue-collar. Yeah. And that this exosuit technology still has hallmarks of what we can connect with with the yellow of like a, a forklift and that yellow light yep. flashing on the back of it. And and it's all because you're you're a loader. Sure. You're loading shit into a truck, basically. It's something of yesterday, but also the future and... and that perfect balance that that has been in the first two movies. And it also captures the imagination, which by the time we're talking 1986, young people have already had a lot of treats this decade of things to explore. And you're still grabbing people with this. And do you know how CGI and ridiculous this fight would be now? Oh, yeah. If they were to make this. And the fluid fluid movements of, it'd be Pacific Rim. Yeah, the loader would would be able to do WWF moves. Yes. Yeah. So it keeps it so very basic with the movements she's able to do and all this and that. But so long story short, again, she pops a hatch. Yeah. It's kind of a trend now. Yep. This and, is where it and blows the thing out into the void of space. And I, I like to think that some warehouse worker somewhere saw that movie on Friday or Saturday. And when he got to work driving his forklift on Monday, he said, you know what? I could be a hero, too. <laughs> forklift but, certified. Forklift certified. So, yeah, and then they interstasis again. And not only do they interstasis, new interstasis, Ripley interstasis, and Bishop is still functional. Yeah. And they put him into stasis as well. Yeah. Do we still have Gen Z? A- and we still have uh, Michael Bean's character. Do we, do we have the cat still? Karen. I can't remember if we had Jones so. or not. I thought so. But uh, thought so. and Michael Bean's character is beat up because yeah. he he got some of the alien blood on him. But so we we have our survivors and back in stasis, and there they go. Yep. A plus. Yeah. A plus movie. Oh yeah. We also forgot to mention. We need to we need to move along, but uh, we also forgot to mention how much of a badass the character Vasquez is. I'm glad you said that. Oh yeah. She's a standout. Yeah. 
absolute it, badass. And again, an actor going all in on a character. Oh yeah, fully invested and all in. And also, too, the way the other characters are invested in her because of how much they believe in her and her look, ability. I'm a 45-year-old man who uh, knows what it's like to try to get into shape and lose any kind of weight. I big respect for the physical transformation that that actress put herself through. Oh, yeah. yeah. To be that character. Big ups. I would even argue she makes the movie. I, she's almost like this grounded follow-up to Ripley that is the nucleus of this group. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because you've got the Joker, the the traditional hero. Yeah. They all kind of orbit around her. And I She's love great. that favorite, that favorite line, Bill Paxton. Hey Vasquez, anybody ever uh, mix, confuse yeah. you for a man? No. What about you? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I thought it'd be a crime if we didn't mention yeah, Vasky. She's fantastic. Uh, got to recommend. Oh, 100%. Without question. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Go watch it. What a fun one-two punch. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I imagine the next conversations are going to be a little brief. So uh, let's move into uh, Alien 3, which produced a decent Sega Genesis game. Oh, I do remember. Was it a Sega CD that had a, a Alien game also? I remember Maybe. Playing. And there was an arcade game, yep. too. Cool. Let's talk about the fourth movie now. Um, it is important to point out, even with the quality of these movies and what we think about them, they always have talent uh, involved yeah. in them. Sure. Um, so the, with the third one, uh, we're now Alien 3, 1992, directed by David Fincher. Which blows my mind. Yeah. Um, a writing trio, one of which was Walter Hill. Um, special effects were Tom Woodruff uh, and uh, Alec Gillis. Uh, fin- Fincher wanted a less upright, more Puma. That's a quote. Uh, with the creature, this is starring Sigourney Weaver, Charles S. Dutton, uh, Charles Dance, Brian Glover. I don't know if you guys recognize Brian Glover. He's the one sitting at the table in an American Werewolf in London. Uh, he's the mm. warden in this. Um, oh yes, yes. Pete Postlewaite. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Pete Postlewaite and Lance Henriksen. Um, That's enough. Yep. That's enough. Yep. Don't tell him our business. And this was, uh, and this movie is set immediately after Aliens. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Vinny? (laughs) Man, my disappointment runs so deep with this in that you scored so big with a sequel, which which is a rarity. So you decide to just say, ah, fuck all those other characters everybody really liked enough that we left them to survive at the end of that. Or elements of the movies. In general. Like, just, ah, fuck all that. I, I'm most upset. I Look, I can deal with one of your uh, cryostasis things not working or whatever, and somebody died. To me, after, how much, how much do you, by the end of the movie, did you guys love Bishop and Aliens? Oh, yeah. Nah, fuck that character. Yeah. And I'm like, what? What are you doing? So, so everybody who was a survivor in that last movie, except Sigourney Weaver, is dead. You, you, oh, wipe the slate clean. Well, we don't need any of that. To build on what you're saying with the characters, what made the first one great? It was scary. Yeah. What made the second one great? It was thrilling action. So, what are we doing the third one? Let's make it heavy on dialogue and a melodrama with all kinds of character conflict. And I remember nobody what, gives a I shit. I remember watching it the first time. And when I was a teenager, and being like, I got rock in this. 
that TV show <laughs> yeah. Rock from Fox. Like, they got Rock in this. Yeah. And and let's have it take place on a prisoner monk yeah, space let, colony. Let's throw some religion in, because that's what the other two have been missing. Yeah. It's oh, it's a weird it is weird. swing and a miss. It is weird. At no point do I get anything that I got from the previous two movies At from all. it. It's. It feels like it wants to be sleazy, but it does. It doesn't quite get how there. Many There's times, this constant threat of rape. Ha, yes, and and yeah, damn near rape at one point. Yeah. There's. Uh, I start to notice in this one more so, and I'm and it's present in the other ones, but I'm noticing more in these next sequels. You're starting to sound like Rob Zombie dialogue because they're saying fuck constantly. Yeah, and right. here I'm like. What are you guys doing? Like, what is this to get the R rating? Yeah, because nothing else that you're presenting to me is going to get you an R rating. Is this how you get there by this kind of dialogue? But just throughout on top the thing, of that, I don't care about any of their conflict. I don't care I'm about any of it, and none of it, and, and it's dialogue breed. heavy, and none of it fucking matters, and none of it's engaging. It's doo doo. Yeah, and and so the the big twist in this one, the the, the difference we take. Uh, for some reason, we have Sigourney Weaver shaver head for this movie. Yeah. Um, I was going to set it up real quick. Stasis interrupted. The ship crashes on this planet. There's a face hugger on board at the prisoner monk colony. Uh, the the new dog type alien has big thing vibes. Ripley shaves her head, maybe in an attempt to fit in and not distract the men. Because not be as sexy as she was that, in them cotton draws. Right. Yes, and so, um, but then also Ripley is able to salvage some of Bishop to uh, get a recording. So at least from that him. we got a little. When I saw Lance initially saw Lance Hendrickson's name in the credits, opening credits, I was like, "Hell yeah, more yeah. Bishop!" When I first saw it, and then at least we got a little bit of Bishop. Yeah, but he's so damaged. He's like, "I'm I'm not of any help. Can you go ahead and destroy me?" Yeah. Um. And so then she develops this rapport with the doctor who tells her the background story of why he's there and why the colony is there. No one cares, by the way. Um, is this Tyrion Lannister's dad in this movie? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then there's this big alien attack, and it is shit CGI. Oh. that That is the most offensive thing to me about this movie. This is that era, because this was, what, 1992? Yeah. This is that era where... You started to get CGI, but not everything was ready for it yet. No, no. I just like to point out too, real quick, that I thought you were joking about Game of Thrones, and now it just clicked that you're actually talking about the person. Because the drama reminds me of just this, just androgynous dragging out. Yeah, gotcha. Because by '92 we had what? Has Jurassic Park been out at this point? Yes. Has Terminator Two been out at this point? Right Wait, around the same uh, time. No, Jurassic, Jurassic Park's in 93. Okay. 93, yeah. yeah. I'm just trying to think of when CGI was done well and when people started also trying to do it but didn't have the capabilities. Yeah. This is... That was one of the hugest strengths, hugest, biggest strengths of, of the other movies. Yeah. Was the incredible practical creature effects. Right. And now you go CGI... And it looks fucking awful. It's like Mary Poppins. It's like throwing animated penguins in to live action. It was just bad. I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. <laughs> uh, so then Ripley has an ultrasound, and during the ultrasound, we find Ripley utters this famous line, I'm part of the family. 
<laughs> yeah, because because at one point she's approached by the alien, and it's a queen mm-hmm. that she's pregnant with, right? Yeah, and uh, the the alien doesn't attack her, and that's the famous meme that we get of like Ripley looking away and the alien's double mouth like right yes. by her face. Uh, then the corporation or the government arrives to try and clean things up, and then we meet Human Bishop, of which the Bishop Synth was based on. Which makes me even matter <laughs> that that we didn't have Bishop in this movie. We have Lance Henriksen, so it wasn't a money thing no. where we couldn't afford to bring Lance Henriksen on. Like it may have been with Michael Bean, who knows? I don't know details of why this didn't happen this way. If Hot Toddy was here, I'm sure he would be able to shed some light on that. Lay it out very plainly. But you got Lance Henriksen, and I don't get Bishop in this movie other than for two fucking minutes. I I find that to be insulting. Or maybe that's the way they had to sell it to Lance to get him to come back. I don't know. Yeah. But... It's not a good choice, no. and it doesn't do anything to help the movie whatsoever. So now Bishop, who you loved in the last movie, the same actor with the same face is now a company stooge yeah. that you fucking hate. Oh, yeah. And so the corporation's trying to learn again. Like, hey, surely we can figure this out. And actually, Ripley, we need you to come with us. And that's when we get the famous... Chest burst suicide. Oh my god! Maneuver for me. It, it, and it's very Terminator Two. Yes. <laughs> Throw yourself into into molten metal or whatever the fuck it is, and then the chest burster bursts out because it, I guess it feels the heat, and then Ripley catches it as it's leaping out and holds on to it. And no, no, you die with me. And, oh my god, it's dumb. Like, and. Sigourney, what did this look like on paper to you when you read this script? Yeah. Maybe it was the ink on the check that was... It had to be. There's almost nothing redeeming holy about Holy fuck, why would, you, why would you take this Ellen Ripley character that you've lived in through two movies and this strong female lead and say... I like the I like the trajectory of of this character. I I like her being under the threat of rape the entire time she's here by men. Just from being men, I'm I'm at risk through this whole fucking movie. I I don't I just don't understand why she thought this was a good direction to take that character. You come back six years later with this. It's like you've had this franchise. You shaved your head for it. All about imagination and world building, and let's shrink it back down to the most unsavory sleazy environment we can put this in where there's no imagination being used i mean it's this the whole thing's a head scratcher i i forgive fincher because it's early in his career he doesn't have any clout yet and from everything i've heard about this it was a horrible experience for him where the studio completely dictated everything and changed a lot of it um they shit the bed yeah but it is this at least has a little bit of nostalgia that I can stomach uh, in terms of a rewatch. Um, by the I mentioned it, Vinny earlier today. The, by the time the fourth one came out, I was old enough. I didn't give a shit about that. And when yeah. I did watch it, I was like, ugh. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Um, but man, threes. It's so bad. Yeah. It's such a drop off from two classics. Yeah. How yeah. hard was it to tap into that stuff? Well, if y'all thought that was a drop off, 
All right. Uh, we're ready to land the plane on three and hopefully land this whole ship here in just a few more minutes. Yes. Um, okay. Alien Resurrection Space Jam Boogaloo uh, came out in 1997. Uh, again, another talented director, Jean-Pierre Jeannot, who did Delicatessen and City of Lost Children, um, starring Sigourney Weaver, Winona Ryder, Ron Perlman, um, Brad Dorff. I mean, again, there's a lot of talent here. A lot of talent. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that director also went on to do Amelie, which was you know his biggest movie mm-hmm. later on. But I mean, again, that's to me how interesting you could have those four directors that we've had for, for the beginning of this franchise that are so wildly different, right? In different stages of their career. But yeah, Alien Resurrection. Um, this is almost unwatchable for me. Like that's 100%. how much I dislike this movie. Even the opening so. credits look low low end. Oh yeah. This looks like a made for the Sci-Fi Channel. It's 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 bad. Maybe. As soon as it opened, I, I I I've seen this one time on VHS after it was released when I was probably what, what year was this? Yeah, 97? I think this was probably my second view. So I, I was like not 18, 19 years old. Yeah, and I watched it once, and I have never watched it again until now. Yeah, and the I, opening credits were like, "Fuck, this looks bad." I remember I had the Alien Quadrilogy on DVD, and when I started upgrading to Blu-ray, I was like, I just need one and two. Same. I'm not a completist. I kind of regret having the box set. I just bought one (laughs) and two. I'm with you on that. Um, Yeah, so the ridiculous setup is that they have found some of Ripley's tissue, and they clone her, and when they clone her, it doesn't just clone her tissue, but also the queen that was growing inside of her. And creates this hybrid Ripley. Yeah. That looks like Ellen Ripley, except she has black fingernails. And, and she's, uh, she's killer on the basketball court. That scene. I I sat there this time, <laughs> and I was like, is Ripley really playing basketball right now? And then the other people walk in with Ron Perlman, and I was like, is this how we're showing Ripley's new physical prowess? With a fucking basketball hoop on this, like when she dunks, just get the fuck out of here, man! And then she beats up all the space pirates with said basketball. Oh my god! <laughs> and it, Ron Perlman would go on to play the same character in Blade Two. <laughs> That's true. It's true. I do love the actor that plays the captain of that space pirate crew. I can't remember his name. I can't either, but he what did he, he played a vampire in an interview with the vampire, didn't he? I don't remember. That cuz I think that's where I recognize him from. He's big in, so he's the main villain in that old Three Musketeers movie. He's the uh he's like the prison guard in Count of Monte Cristo. He's in Nope or yeah, he's in Nope. He's the old grizzled film director that they that convinced yet. to help him. Uh, filmed the UFO because mm-hmm. he's got the analog. Yeah, um, he plays him. He's he's a neat he's a neat actor. Yeah. Um, boy oh boy. Um, I, here's my one kindness I'll say about the film is that they patted down the pirates for guns when they came onto the ship, but they all had secret guns hidden on their bodies and and wheelchair. Yeah, the guy in the wheelchair, his was all disassembled. Yeah, as parts of his. Yeah, yeah. There, Which, that, he's from City of Lost Children. Oh as yeah. Well, yeah. Um, ugh. how about this movie is 100% a slasher sure dipped in science fiction. Yeah. Th- this feels very much like a Friday the 13th type slasher movie. It, it doesn't have any of the the 
Except not fun. Yeah, it doesn't have any of the rhythm or, or ambiance of the Alien movies anymore. This just feels like a cheap slasher. Yeah. As it hunts them down. And One, them. A kindness I'll pay to it is uh, there. there is the, the water where we see aliens underwater for the first time, and this is a new element. They're, they're pretty adept mm, yeah. at swimming and, and look cool underwater, yeah. uh, but we still get into some fucking awful CGI in this movie that's it, distractingly bad. And you've got some great dialogue, like when Ron Perlman says, Die, motherfucker! <laughs> or when Brad Dourif wants to do sex to the aliens. <laughs> like a dirty word. Look, here's an alien. <laughs> Better have sex with it. <laughs> Uh, then we find out. So it's uh, the only salvageable piece of the storyline is that Winona Ryder knows about what they're trying to do with Ripley, this Ripley clone, and trying to shut it down. I'm like, oh, look, there's some reason in this film. Yeah. That's it. Right. And then we find out that she is a synth. Which felt so shoehorned in. Yes. It was like later. It was a later edit. <laughs> yeah. Like they, they had to have a synth. In. Oh, that's what people liked about those movies was having a synth in it. <laughs> that, that was people complained that Bishop wasn't in the last one. Let's give him a synth, and and it's not convincing to me. Uh, her being a synth, like I just, man. It, and of course, Ripley's this super Ripley, and this now she's throwing out like quippy smartass <laughs> lines after kills. Like she's a cartoon character of herself. And if I questioned why did she agree to do Alien Three after reading the script. Why in the fuck did she read this and say, fuck yeah, this is the trajectory for Ellen Ripley? Uh, please see the basketball scene. <laughs> man, <laughs> how do you read that in a script and go, sign me up, man? Yeah. I think yeah. after Ghostbusters 2, she just wanted money. <sighs> man. Thank God she redeemed herself with Galaxy Quest. But don't you think? don't <laughs> you think that she had enough sway in that franchise by that point where she could have said... I'm not coming in to do this unless you take that fucking basketball scene out <laughs> right. of this goddamn movie. One would think so. The one uh, cool thing I think in the movie is when she discovers the lab that has the failed Ripley clones in it. Oh, yeah. A lot of them are like giant pickled punks where they didn't survive, but they're they're kept. And then there's the one that's alive, extremely malformed, yeah, begging her to kill it. So she does. With a flamethrower. Hey. Wouldn't a bullet in the fucking head been a little bit more humane? If you guys keep listing off the one thing that's good about the movie, we're all going to love the movie. <laughs> just be careful. <laughs> all right. Not uh, a chance. I want to land this plane here. Uh, I just want to say, so they're creating human-alien hybrids. Uh, she's she's given birth for you now, Ripley, and she is perfect, uh, the line is. And that human-alien hybrid... Looks like Pumpkinhead. That's exactly what my note says. Looking like Pumpkinhead, you're going to have H.R. Giger <laughs> create this this image that has lived now for fucking, what, 40 plus years, almost 50 years in the public consciousness. And you're going to reduce it to this shitty... Dollar Tree pumpkin head. Skin tone. Just fucking garbage. Like, so disappointing. But guess what? Chicken butt. We get a, a gravity door scene for the final kill again. Which is like a, a hole in a window. <laughs> 
so the vacuum of space <laughs> oh, starts yeah. trying to suck this thing and out. And this is where this the director matters because this is that same kind of weird quirkiness from like stuff like Delicatessen, City of Lost Children, where his sensibilities. I, mean, I almost don't mind this because it's, it's a little oh, it's the, different. And it's like, the funnest part of the movie. Yes. Where it's just yes. like, holy shit, this is bonkers. Yeah. It's painfully slow in, in the way that it happens. You're like, ooh. Oh, suck to that yeah. little hole. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Then I take my shirt off. It's wild. Yeah, and then yeah. and then clone Ripley and synth Winona Ryder <laughs> land on Earth to live happily ever after. Yep. End scene. I can't what believe the hell there did wasn't they a. Yeah, I can't believe there wasn't a follow up film to this. <laughs> Killed the franchise for what twenty years? Oh yeah, at least. Just bad crap. Ab- yeah. Absolute dog shit movie. Yeah, dog trash. Dog trash. <laughs> dog trash certified. Yes. 100%. Okay. Well, folks, there you have it. The original Alien Quadrilogy, the Ellen Ripley Quadrilogy. Uh, watch one and two. Yeah, go, we'll... go buy them. Uh, yeah. d- don't, don't waste your money on a box set nope. that includes three and four. One and two are two of the best movies we'll ever cover on this podcast. Three yeah. and four are all, like they're it's actually painful to finish. Yeah. So but we did it for you guys. We yep. did it for you. It was all for you, Damien. So uh wrapping up the Alien franchise. I'm one of your hosts, Grizzly Abner, and I'm here with Professor Wagstaff. Venomous Vinny. Stay scary, friends. Mm-hmm.